All right. Well, we are in week two of our Intersections series, and uh, today we're going to be continuing what we started last week. Last week, we talked about some of the most comfortable intersections, and intersections is a metaphor we're using to talk about the exchanges that we have in life, the people that we encounter, the, the situations we find ourselves in. And last week, we talked about some of the most comfortable intersections we encounter, those being the relational ones. And by relational intersections, for those of you who weren't here, Tim, our senior pastor, and I, we kind of talked this through as a dialogue message. But the, the relational intersections are the opportunities we have with the people that we know best, our friends, our family. And in those opportunities, we have chances. We have, if things go along in a certain way, we might have an opportunity to share Christ with them. And so that is, uh, just to kind of sum up last week in one word, it would be evangelism. Last week was very much about the opportunities we have to share Christ with others as we encounter them, as we experience life together. But using those opportunities, we have to help show them who Christ is through the way that we interact with them. Well, this week, we're going to be dealing with less comfortable intersections. We're going to be dealing with actually uncomfortable intersections. And we'll talk a little bit more about what we mean by that. But basically, these are the people, places, and conversations that are outside of our comfort zone. If the big word for last week was evangelism, this week it's about being missional. And so we, we, we started last week with the, the comfortable situation, sharing Christ with people, with the people that are around us naturally. This week we're talking about maybe getting outside of our comfort zone, uh, putting ourselves in some more missions-related circumstances, and, and how can we share Christ in those situations. Now, this is a, a bit of a tricky issue for us as Christians, because those, most people prefer to stay in their comfort zone. Most people prefer to be around people that act like them, that look like them, that dress like them, that have the same interests, have the same hairstyle, whatever it is that, that keeps you going with your group of friends. Uh, most of us like to be in those situations. We also like to be in situations where we feel safe. And so it's not very common that people will say, you know, I'm just really looking to get more uncomfortable in my life. I was just hoping for more opportunities to be less comfortable. And so the question is, should we always just default to that? Should we always just say, well, I'm just going to play it safe and stick with the people I know, being in the situations I'm comfortable with? Or are we missing out on something by not putting ourselves in situations that are beyond our comfort zone? The challenge for us is that all throughout Scripture, in in Luke that was read earlier, we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but also in the book that follows up Luke, the book of Acts, there are all these stories about people interacting with people at uncomfortable intersections, people coming to meet people in situations that are outside their comfort zone, yet even in those situations they were called to share Christ. And if you look at the book of Acts, which we're not going to spend much time with today, but the book of Acts is the story of the early church. It's how right after Jesus had risen from the dead, the church was birthed uh, 50 days later on the day of Pentecost. And so Jesus 
inspired his followers to start the church. And most people look at the early church and they think about the fact that they, they fellowshiped together and they led others to Christ. Those were the two big things that people sort of gravitate towards. But if you read closely, all throughout there are different circumstances where they're engaging in missional opportunities. They're engaging with people at uncomfortable intersections. And in each of those things, from the very beginning, the church has been about those two things, evangelism and being missional. It's been about sharing the gospel, but also being as Christ to other people. And so all throughout Acts, you're only a couple of chapters into it, and they're saying, we've got to figure out some sort of strategy for helping the people that are in need. There are people who need food. There are, are women who have been widowed. There are children who have been orphaned. And we've got to make a point. If we're going to be who Christ called us to be, it's important that we know how to reach out to those type people. Now, uh, about a month ago, I had a little bit of an encounter with an uncomfortable intersection. Um, if you've been around Georgia for the past month and a half, you know this has been one of the coldest winters we've had in a really long time. Uh, it even snowed in Macon, Georgia, uh, and even places further south from here. And uh, we've canceled school, not just because of snow, but because of the threat of ice. We even closed school one day because it was just too cold. And uh, so cold has been very much a part of the Georgia culture for the past month and a half, ever since the beginning of 2014. Well, there was one week, this was before the snow, before the ice, where it was just incredibly cold. You might remember this. This was going back uh, probably about five or six weeks ago. And I remember it got down into the teens. That's right, the teens here in Macon, Georgia. And I, I remember one night in particular, I went home and my wife is finishing up school at Georgia State. And so we actually, we live on the east side of Atlanta and I commute down here. But we were at our apartment in Atlanta and I just remember getting home and I, I've got my dog with me and my dog's got to walk around the yard before we go inside. And she's oblivious to the fact that it's 20 degrees. She is just invested in the idea of staying out there as long as possible. Um, but I'm sitting there, and I am just frigid. I, I cannot remember a time that I have been this cold before in my life. And I, I'm just sitting there going, this is just so unbearably cold, so unbearably cold. And it just kept getting colder and colder and colder, and I had about five layers on. And so I went inside, heated up some soup, sat down. It had been a really long day. I was completely exhausted and I was so glad to be inside in the warmth where I wouldn't have to go out again until the next morning. And then my wife got home. And she said, you know the bridge that I drive by on my way home from school? I said, yeah, I think I know which one you're talking about. She said, well, there were probably 30 homeless people there under the bridge tonight. And she's like, and it just broke my heart to see all of them there. Um, I just saw them, and it, it just, I can't imagine what they're going through being in that cold of weather just out in the open. And so I said, okay, where are you going with this? And she said, well, I, I was thinking maybe we could go and, 
and take some of our old blankets, take some of our old jackets that we're not using anymore and give them to them. And I said, you know how cold it is outside? She said, yeah, that's why I want to take the blankets and the jackets and the people who are going to be out there. And I did not want to go. I mean, it was the last thing I wanted to do. I was just sitting there thinking, I do not want to go back out. I am so tired. It is so cold. I don't even want to think about having to wait for the car to heat up. I I was just sitting there, and, and she's like, I really think we should go, but we don't have to go unless you think we should go. And the whole time I'm sitting there thinking, oh, no, I've got to preach on being missional in a month and a half. And I'm like just thinking through, I don't want to do it, but I knew that we should. And so we eventually um, decided we were going to pack up some stuff. And so we packed up some blankets, some jackets, some things we didn't need anymore. It was actually good for us to declutter a little bit. And we hopped in the car, and we drove to this bridge. And there were tons and tons and tons of piles of, of clothing and blankets where some people had abandoned their spot and gone, I presume, to a shelter. Uh, but some people were, were bundled up, and they looked pretty cold. She was right. And so we, we pull up, and we, we talked to one of the guys. We had decided we were going we to play it somewhat safe. We were going to try to pull up to where they were and uh, pass some things through the window because it's, it's getting pretty late. And, and we pull up, and there's this guy standing there. And uh, we say, excuse me, sir. We're uh, trying to pass out some blankets and some jackets. Do you need anything? And this was his response. I kid you not. He goes, no, I'm good. And then we said, well, what about the other people out here? You know, it's going to be really cold tonight. No, they're good too. And we said, what about the shelters? Is there a shelter nearby we could take? the No, they're good too. And I'm serious. The guy was sitting there saying, everybody's good. Don't worry about us. And we were just sitting there going, that's just really bizarre that you would go and offer free warmth on the coldest night of the year and they would just be like oh we're good we're good and it it was just a mind-blowing experience but the lesson we learned in it was that you can't always control how people are going to react to you but what you can control is whether you will get past the inconvenience of it if you'll get past the uncomfortable nature of it and actually go and do it and so today we're going to talk about uncomfortable intersections And, and the two words that i think sum up uncomfortable intersections the best are these two they are usually uncomfortable um that's not the word that's supposed to be they're supposed to be unfamiliar unfamiliar and inconvenient they're oftentimes unfamiliar and inconvenient and so we're going to do a little bit of work with the good samaritan today and then we're going to do something a little experimental we're going to bring up uh my good friend our children's pastor extraordinaire liz hammock is going to come share with us a little bit in the middle of the message, and then we'll, we'll tie it up. But we're going to spend just a little bit of time with this Good Samaritan and how Jesus portrayed how we ought to interact at uncomfortable intersections. So the story of the Good Samaritan, most people are familiar with it. Good Samaritan has become just kind of a term we throw around even in secular conversations. Oh, he was just being a Good Samaritan. We have Good Samaritan laws And the news will refer to someone being a good Samaritan. Uh, And so it's a familiar story. So sometimes it's hard to catch the truth within something if we're already familiar with it. 
But basically what happens is a man is left for dead on the side of the road as Jesus is telling the story. And this man is left for dead on the side of the road. He had been beaten up and robbed by a couple of thieves. And he's laying there. And a religious leader, a priest, comes walking by and just goes to the other side of the road and keeps walking. And then a Levite, another religious leader, comes by, sees him, and just keeps moving. But a Samaritan actually stopped and helped the man. And so we're going to look at the Samaritan and what it was that the Samaritan went through as he made the decision to actually stop and help this person. Now, if you're not very familiar with the Old Testament and New Testament, you might not be aware of the fact that Samaritans and Jewish people did not get along. And so there was this divide between them. They were considered to be half-breeds. They were considered to not be pure. And so the Jewish people would have looked down upon a Samaritan. So it's actually kind of scandalous that Jesus chooses the Samaritan to be the hero of the story, the one who actually does what we would think would be the right thing to do. And this is the story. If you have your message notes, this is uh, what we have to fill in this morning. This is the story of what happens with the Good Samaritan interacting with this man who's been left half dead. The first thing that we notice about him is if we're to be like the Good Samaritan, we have to allow ourselves to be moved. It says in verse 33, but when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. And a lot of times when it comes to uncomfortable situations, uncomfortable intersections, we don't engage with those intersections because we just kind of turn away. We shut ourselves off to what we might be seeing. And so we say, I'm not going to worry with that. I'm just not going to allow myself to even be moved by that. But it says that the Good Samaritan was moved with compassion. The next thing we see is he not only was moved by his compassion. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll see things on TV, a uh, commercial for something, and I'll go, oh, but I won't actually do anything in response to it. We'll read a story uh, online or in the newspaper and it'll stir something up within us, but we won't actually do anything. Well, the Samaritan was different. The Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds. This is verse 34. Tending them with oil and wine. And then he placed the wounded man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. This is the important thing. It's not enough just to have compassion. We also have to be moved by that compassion to go and actually engage with someone in need. Uh, a few years ago, several of us from the church staff at the time, we had a, a chance to go and go to a, a conference up in Atlanta. And I, I've told this story before, but, but it's a good one about how we are moved and we act upon our compassion. Uh, there was a guy there who was sponsored, coincidentally enough, by Compassion International. And he was a kid who had grown up as a compassion kid. And he was probably in his early 20s at the time we heard him. And he had grown up in an African country and had come to the U.S. 
after having his experience of being raised in a compassion school, a compassion church, and he had decided he was going to get a theological, a religious education at a Bible college here so that he could go back to his own country and share the truth of Christ with people there. And he was just telling the story of how he had a sponsor and that relationship with the sponsor was really impactful on him. And the, the sponsor would write him and tell him about Jesus and he just had this amazing experience with it. Um, and it just meant so much to him that so many people he knew in his family or in his village who weren't sponsored ended up dying because of malnour- uh, malnourishment. He said, but I, I, I was able to survive. I was able to get a great education. I was able to learn about Christ and, and that's made all the difference in my life. And then the guy who was kind of facilitating uh, this guy speaking, he said, well, have you ever met your sponsor? And he said, no, I've never met my sponsor, just seen pictures and everything. And then right then you see walking up on the stage this really, really tall guy um, who ended up being his sponsor. And as the sponsor walked up, you know, the guy facilitating said, you know, turn around, this is your sponsor, and said his name. Um, the guy just fell to his knees and just started crying. This was a grown man who fell on his knees and was just crying, hugging the guy at the waist, um, just overwhelmed because someone had chosen to, to love him. Someone had chosen from afar to act upon their compassion. Um, and that guy, he, he said, I was, I was just a college student, and I saw an ad, and I responded to it. Um, And and so it was just an important aspect of of sometimes when we act in response to the call for compassion uh, that really can make a difference in the world. The third thing that we learn from the Good Samaritan is that we ought to make a sacrifice. It says in verse 35, the next day he took two full days worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, take care of him and when I return I will pay you back for any additional costs. Now, the thing that we sacrifice may not always be financial. It might be our time. It might be our convenience. But in every uncomfortable intersection, there's an opportunity to respond. And if we choose to respond, it might cost us some money along the way. It might cost us the loss of our time. You know, it takes time to go serve somewhere. But I believe that if we make that sacrifice, that we will be rewarded because of it. At this time, we're going to bring up Liz. Everybody give it up for Liz. And Liz and I are just going to have a little conversation. Um, I want her to share a little bit, um, mainly for nothing else, um, she, she's a little more versed in the missional stuff than I am, but also uh, I don't have to uh, brag about anything I, I have done. I can just talk Liz into bragging about the things she's done, and so works. Okay. So Liz, um, Liz is our children's director here and uh, used to be in the youth ministry, and she's also married to Jeremy, who was standing right here, leading worship, usually plays drums. Um, they're a great family that I've known for years, and um, I've always admired uh, about Liz, 
I admire some things about Jeremy too, but uh, with Liz, I've just always admired your willingness to go into some uncomfortable intersections. And so my question for you, Liz, is looking back on the things that you've done in, in ministry and before you were in full-time ministry, what has been the impact of some of the uncomfortable intersections you've found yourself in? not quite the question that I was prepared for, but it's good. Okay, we'll go. You want me to no, read no, no, it? No, you're good. You're good. My, my notes were over you're here. You're good. You're good. Um, when, I guess for me, in thinking about, I've kind of been thinking about uncomfortable intersections for uh, just throughout the weekend um, and trying to narrow down the ones that I can best articulate. Um, a couple years ago, I was a part of the youth trip to Tijuana, and it was maybe my second or third time, and I was one of the youth leaders, so I was, you know, trying to set the good example and do all that stuff. And, I mean, I just, I love Tijuana, so it was great. But um, one of our ministry opportunities was Hygiene Day, where we go into a community and we wash hair and feet of the boys and girls there, and we make sure they have clean clothes and a set of shoes and a set of socks. And so that day, um, a good friend of mine from Tijuana, Robin, asked me to help with lice. It's like, okay, you know, I'm all, always positive. Sure, great, whatever. I had no idea quite what that meant. Um, and really what that means is, is girls come in to get their hair washed, um, somebody checks them, and if they have lice, they stand in this line, and if they don't have lice, they stand in this line. And um, about 30 minutes in, as I'm, we have a special shampoo that we put on their hair, and we comb out with the lice combs and all this kind of stuff, and it's just, I mean, it's an assembly line. There are so many little girls that have lice. And about 30 minutes in, I looked, and I had lice on my arms and on my T-shirt, and for about 20 seconds, there was this moment of, oh my goodness, like, this is what I'm doing, you know, and just, to be honest, I mean, there was this, I, I was grossed out, and I was worried, and I'm going to get it in my luggage, and I'm going to take it home, and it's going to be, you know, and just this, and then this little girl looked up at me and just smiled, and just said something in Spanish that I didn't know, you know, and I smiled back, but I had this moment of, I can't do this, and this is not fun, and this is not okay, and this is not normal, but then here was this beautiful child who had no idea that she had lice and had no idea that she had a problem. She just saw that I was smiling, and so she smiled, and, and we just, but it was just this moment of God just kind of reminding me that it's not so much about the thing that, that I don't want to do as much as it is about who he is and the love that he has and the grace that he has and the goodness of him. And all I had to do that day was wash somebody's hair and smile at them because I couldn't, I couldn't speak with her about it. But, but she knew that in that moment that I was doing something good for her. And, um, and that was something. So what was the question again? Uh, <laughs> that was a great answer, Thanks. whatever the question was. Uh, th this is what I actually had written down, which is probably what I told you to prepare for. Um, what are some of the uncomfortable intersections you have encountered and what impact have they had on you? Um, I guess for me, I mean, in that story and, and just impact, you know, I think Jesus is the epitome of uncomfortable intersections. But the funny thing is he probably wouldn't call them uncomfortable. He called them life, you know, every day. Mm. Um, this morning, we, you know, we actually did the story of the Good Samaritan in Sunday school. But, you know, it's just looking through Luke this weekend and preparing for this morning for kids' church. You know, I came across the story of Jesus and the leper. To me, that would be an uncomfortable intersection. You know, the story of the woman who bled for 12 years and she was cast out by her community that's an uncomfortable intersection, you know, or um, 
I mean, there are so many examples of what we would consider uncomfortable, and those people are different from us, and we separate ourselves from that. Jesus didn't, you know, and, and it, wasn't, it wasn't because he was trying to be good or, like, score the good church points, you know. Jesus addressed uncomfortable intersections because of who he was and because of the power that he had and the freedom that he possessed. And it wasn't a matter of dealing with hard or unfamiliar or uncomfortable. It was a matter of just loving people and wanting them to know that he loved them. And so it wasn't a matter of what it was they had that made him uncomfortable or grossed him out or whatever. It was just, hey, my goodness is better than that, and I want you to have my goodness. And so for me, that's, that's what's impactful about uncomfortable intersections is it's not because of what we're supposed to do or what we should do. It's because we have something called a relationship with Jesus, and our goal as Christians is to let other people know about that and experience that and, and taste that, and then it kind of becomes not so uncomfortable anymore. All right, and this is the second question for you, which I, I will read so I don't get it wrong. Um, how do you feel like your life would have been shortchanged a bit um, by not engaging in those uncomfortable intersections? Mm, that's a good one. Um, hmm, thanks. Yeah. Um, well, just real quickly, just kind of in a practical sense, uh, when I was 18, I moved to Macon. And I did encounter a very uncomfortable intersection. I was working or was a part of a, a ministry on Napier Avenue. Uh, it was the corner of Na Napier and Fairmont Powerhouse Youth Center. And um, it was a very uncomfortable intersection because I was little girl from Amish country, Indiana, coming down to Napier Avenue and just not, just feeling like I had nothing to offer. I felt so separate and so different from these people and from these families and from this community. And I had no idea how God could use me to make a difference. And honestly, the first seven months I was here was really rough, and I waited for the time I could go home. Um, but through God's greatness, he brought me back, and it was in that time that I fell in love with this community, and I fell in love with the kids that God gave me the opportunity to, to work with and the families that God gave me to work with. And it was through that that I met my husband, and I met an incredible Georgia family down here, and I've been here for 10 years. So in a practical way, um, if I wasn't willing to be uncomfortable and address some of the things that I was struggling with personally in the situation I was in, I wouldn't be in Macon, Georgia today, 10 years later. And so yeah. that's a practical one. That's good. Um, anything else you want to share about intersections? No. You good? You good? <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Liz, for sharing. Uh, Liz has to go back and be a children's pastor now. Um, but I, I just wanted this morning um, not just to talk about the idea of the Good Samaritan and, and things that might seem a little distant to us, but, but put it in terms of, of things that happen right here, opportunities that are available for those in this community. It, you, you can't always um, plan or and you certainly probably wouldn't choose to find someone laying on the side of the road left for half dead who's been robbed. But there are opportunities that we have where we can go and we can serve. And, and the guy who is left in the Good Samaritan, um, th this is something that was shared with me this past week that, that really impacted the way that I look at the story of the Good Samaritan. This is what we'll close with, is that there, there were three types of people 
then encountered the man left on the side of the road. The first were the robbers. And what the robbers said was essentially this. This is in your message notes if you're taking notes. What the robbers said is, what's yours is mine and I'll take it. What's yours is mine and I'll take it. The second group of people that encountered this man were the religious leaders. And they said, what's mine is mine and I'll keep it. And then the third was the Samaritan who essentially said, what's mine is yours and I'll share it. One group said, we're going to take from you. Another group said, we're going to keep what's ours. And then the last one, the Good Samaritan said, what's mine is yours and I'm happy to share it. I'm happy to share it. And I believe that in that image of the Good Samaritan, we see what it's like to be Christ to someone else. Because in Christ, we have been left half dead. But through Christ, we have been redeemed. He has paid the price for us. He's taken the wages and He's paid it for us. He has taken what is His and said it belongs to us, the freedom and the grace that belongs to Him. And so when we encounter people at uncomfortable intersections, when we choose to say, what's mine is yours, I'm going to share it, we have the opportunity to be Christ to them. Back earlier this month, uh, at the beginning of the month, our monthly newsletter came out. And as part of the newsletter, we had a couple of interviews in there that we had conducted with people who were involved in local missions. And one of them, Carolyn Bradley, um, she's one of the the saints in our church, uh, attends the 830 service. Um, Great gal. And uh, she said something that that really impacted me. And, And it was I asked her, why is it that we should serve? And she said, we're all God's children. We're supposed to be there in the right way. Who knows, but for a snap of a finger, we might be in their situation as well. And that's what this whole idea of loving your neighbor, encountering people at uncomfortable intersections is all about. It's the fact that we're all God's children. It's the fact that we have all called, been called through our baptism to be Christ to them, to share the love of Christ and and to act as Christ would by reaching out in the uncomfortable situations to take hold of them and to to bring comfort to them and to help provide for their needs. And so this morning our challenge is this. Um, We may have to get out of our comfort zones from time to time. We may have to put ourselves in unfamiliar and inconvenient circumstances. Um, some of you might be sitting here this morning and you might be thinking to yourself, gosh, I might be missing out by not being a part of, of local missions. There are plenty of missions in our community that do great work that you can be a part of. And, and Liz actually is um, working kind of behind the scenes with a group of leaders to help rejuvenate our missional outreach as a congregation and try to become more of a resource for where we can plug people in. But if you have any questions for places to get plugged in, I'd be happy to talk to you and point you in a direction that might fit your passion. Um, Liz shared about the Tijuana experience that she had a few years back. There's going to be an interest meeting, conveniently, a week from today. And you can come and hear about the ministry that our church has partnered with in Tijuana for the past several years. 
and uh, who knows, possibly go and be a part of the trip or, or at least give to help support the mission that's going on there. And so th- there are plenty of opportunities, ways that we can reach out at uncomfortable intersections. The, the challenge for us is it might mean getting a little uncomfortable. It might mean being inconvenienced a little bit. But I believe that in the midst of the unfamiliarity of it all, um, that it's worth it. And it's worth the experience that we'll have. And uh, as Liz shared, her, her life might have been drastically different if she hadn't engaged in those experiences. So band's going to come back up, and I invite you to join me in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for the example of Christ and how he engaged at the uncomfortable intersections of life, how he engaged with people, um, some who were very different than him, how he got out of his comfort zone, if he even had a comfort zone. Uh, But he engaged with people and showed them love and showed them grace. Lord, help us to be the type people who live as Christ would in the world. Uh, We've heard it said that Christ has no body but ours. No hand, no feet, but ours. And so, Lord, I I pray that we would be the hands and feet of Christ in the world, that we would engage with people at the uncomfortable intersections. And through that, Lord, that we would bring glory to you as we share the love of Christ with the world. It's in your name we pray. Amen.